Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Goalpost. And Big Kirko has dropped the San Francisco 49ers to two losses over their past two weeks. What a crazy Monday night football, Patrick. Yeah, primetime Kirk showed up uh, and not the one that you, you're you used to. It was the good primetime Kirk, which shows up very far and few in between. And they got the job done. They just went pretty much wire to wire, really. 49ers, no points in the first quarter, just got a touchdown before half. And they were just playing from behind the entire game. And then two, two brutal interceptions by Brock Purdy in the fourth quarter pretty much put a bow on this one and yeah like you said the 49ers have a losing streak right now it's pretty insane to say especially given like the state of the 49ers and people's minds like maybe three weeks ago like they were being penciled in for the Super Bowl like at the start of the season essentially uh and the start you know first couple weeks kind of supported that um but my biggest takeaway was when's the last time you've seen the 49ers defense look like this like they looked dejected they looked like they couldn't get a stop to save their lives probably the covid season i i would say like back to 2020 when i mean like i think bosa was injured that year they didn't have javon hargrave uh like fred warner was not the linebacker that he is today and yeah it was shocking really to to watch and just see kirk kind of do whatever he really wanted against this defense. Yep. He was throwing balls to Addison all night, KJ Osborne, Hawkinson. Like it was a great effort out of the Vikings on both sides of the ball. And yeah, it you you just kept expecting like Bosa to to come in and have that very timely sack, maybe a forced fumble, and then it kind of just flips the game on its head. And then the 49ers use that momentum and then it's like, yeah, it won't be a pretty win, but they got the win. And that just never happened. And I mean, credit to the Vikings. They they didn't make the mistakes. It. Yeah, they was simple as that. One team made mistakes, the other didn't. And that team won. Yeah, you kept waiting for the Vikings mistake on defense. You kept waiting for Kirk to throw an interception. And credit to both of them. They just didn't let that happen. It was a game where the Vikings looked completely in control. And that's something that hasn't looked that way for them pretty much all season. And they're doing this without Justin Jefferson. This was a really, really quality win and almost one that kind of makes you wonder, is this kind of the spark that can maybe bring some life back into this 49ers room, back into kind of their organization? I want to talk about next week. They go at the Packers, a huge divisional game for them. Oh, the Vikings. Um, or at the, yeah, the, the Vikings, Vikings go at the Packers. Packers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very interested for that one. It's a pick em right now. Yeah, the, I mean, their next six games, they could be favored in all of them. It's uh, like you said, the Packers next week on the road, pick them right now. Then they go to play the Falcons, winnable. Then they go play the Saints, winnable. Then they go play the Broncos, winnable. Then they go play the Bears, more than winnable. And then bye week and then the Raiders. Wow. So that like if I don't expect them to go run the table on those games, but if they do nine and four. And that could be a, a, a record good enough to be leading your division at that point in time. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't like the Lions taking a step back over the next few weeks and the Vikings clearing house just absolutely flip that division on its head? Yeah, I mean, and those Kirk Cousins trade rumors have been put to bed like they like it's, it's a sound foundation. Hopefully that, 
you know, the locker room, like you said, after a win like this, you can kind of rally around it. And, and like Jefferson's not out for the year. Obviously, he's out for an extended period, but they will get him back at some time and probably it will be in one of those six games. So you get an X factor like that back in your lineup. Yeah, I, I it sounds insane, especially like if I said this three weeks ago, but I can see the Vikings making a run into the playoffs. Would certainly help my uh, my preseason divisional picks. Uh, I think that another thing that this game really showed was that Jordan Addison is a star. Like, I think they did it again, essentially. He finishes the night with seven receptions, 123 yards, and two touchdowns, a long of 60. They just grow receivers on trees, uh, clearly, in the Minnesota organization. Like, K.J. Osborne is a good receiver, too. Like, they just seem to be able to find these guys uh, guys who have moved around a bit, especially like Addison in college. I think he went to three different teams in college um, and then comes out out of UFC, USC looking kind of like a star immediately. And they were just able to lean on him the whole night. He's kind of showing he could be a, a number one receiver. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people had him as a number one receiver in, in the NFL. He won the Bolitnikoff Award in college, best best wide receiver in the nation. And he just kind of slipped a bit in the draft. I mean, obviously not crazy. He was still a first round draft pick, but late in the first round. And it's a perfect complimentary piece for a team like this that throws the ball a million times. And, you know, like you say, Je- Jefferson's out. Someone's got to step up and it's a perfect opportunity for guys like Jordan Addison. Uh, obviously, the the move to get TJ Hawkinson last year has also paid, paid, uh, paid off very much. And like even like you said, the depth guys were stepping up. KJ Osborne, uh, Brandon Powell, like these guys here. You're like, oh, who the hell is that? It's like, yeah, they're making plays. Kirk's throwing the ball, and Vikings can't really run the ball. They don't. They don't really r- run it well. Like Matt, they only ran it with Madison eight times, thirty nine yards. Acres ten times, thirty one yards. No touchdowns for either. It, that could be a problem, but. Let's focus on the positives. And I mean, Kirk Cousins had uh, arguably his best game of the year and the biggest moment. And I don't know how many people saw the Vikings winning this game. But for me, I was I was shocked to, to see this outcome. I was absolutely shocked. I was on the 49ers team total at 27 and a half. Knew we were in trouble uh, after a seven point first quarter or seven point first half, really, for for most of it. Um, but 378 yards for Kirk, two touchdowns. Now, when Jefferson does come back, people are going to have to respect Addison a lot more. Defenses are going to have to game plan for him and Jefferson a lot more at the same time. Um, But on the other side of the ball, the 49ers have to go to Cincinnati and play the Bengals next weekend. The line is at five and a half right now. I don't love this spot for the 49ers. This... This game, Damien, I, I have no no feel, no feel whatsoever. Uh, the line's like, it makes you kind of want to take the Bengals, but then that it does. But then I that makes me want to take the 49ers because it's like, why are the 49ers getting five and a half? I understand they're at home, uh, but since he's coming off a of bye week, two weeks to prepare for the 49ers, Brock Purdy looked like garbage, I would say, especially in the fourth quarter on Monday night and it seems like the Bengals are kind of picking up steam and finding their mojo but yeah I mean I don't know I would I would guess this means Debo Samuel will be back next week yeah the line would really kind of make you think that 
Yeah. I mean, they're good at home, uh, which is kind of a big bump for this one. But arrested Joe Burrow, who finally really needed that rest coming off of a bye week, a fired up uh, Bengals team that's still kind of looking to gain ground. I don't know. I could. You're right. This is a tough game to get a feel for, but you can't love uh, the 49ers kind of coming off of a short week and then having to play, you know, a tough Bengals team. Yeah, I'll definitely be watching this game. I believe it's in the four o'clock slate. Um I don't know. I would have had this game at like three and a half, four. So I guess it's not the most insane line ever, but it it definitely like the second I saw it, I go, oh, I like the Bengals this week, which usually means the 49ers are going to like they'll win by three scores. And then everyone's going to be like Brock Purdy, McCaffrey, MVP. Yeah, like best defense in the league. And then, you know, the questions will start swirling the other way for the Bengals, which they were in the first four or five weeks. But no, that should be a good one. I think that's probably the best matchup of next week. And the 49ers, I, you can't really lose three in a row because Seattle's winning games in the division. And I mean, the Rams, they're three and four, but they show potential that they can compete with any team in the league, too. I think that division uh, becoming really exciting and close down the line would be great for the NFL. I think that's a division that they're kind of really wanting to be back in the mix, especially with kind of the flash in the pan that the Rams were when they won that Super Bowl. And then the Seahawks really struggling to get, you know, after those great years, getting back to dominance. But I would love to see that division kind of get reinvigorated. Um, But moving to Thursday night, we have a very, very interesting matchup between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going north to Buffalo to face the Buffalo Bills. Three and three bucks, four and three bills. The bills are at sitting at eight and a half favorites right now. Eight and a half points, Patrick, after losing last week to the Patriots, almost losing the week before to the Giants. This screams rat line, which confuses me even more. Yeah, uh, I look at something like this and it it just makes you think because a Buffalo, I don't know what to make a Buffalo these days. They seem to play down to their opponents. And I mean, they've been getting, they got 15 points to the Giants, one by like, it came down last play. They almost lost one by a score. They were catching seven and a half or eight, maybe eight and a half against the Patriots, which that kind of screamed a rat line too. Everyone was probably on the bills in that one. So Vegas kind of knew what they were doing with that line. And now you're, you're getting eight and a half at home against, against the Buccaneers who say what you want, but they don't seem to be the worst team ever. Like they seem to be competitive in these games. Baker Mayfield's having a bit of a renaissance year. I I'm not touching this game. What's I might take like an anytime touchdown score or something, but the, as if in terms of sides, totals, nothing from me, even the total, I, I don't have a great feel for right now. The over unders at 42. I feel like primetime games this year, there's just absolutely zero feel of whether it's going to be an over game or an under game. They just seemingly come out of nowhere. Um, but this one for the Bucks, I think they dropped a really disappointing one against the Falcons last uh, week and a game that was really, really winnable, uh, especially at home uh, against a team like the Falcons. So I don't love that about the Bucks going into this one, but I do think that the Bucks are kind of perfectly a team like the Vikings to play up in a spot like this. I think that it's kind of primed for them to at least keep this game close. I agree. I agree. I think the Bucs are one of those scrappy teams that like they play up 
as opposed to Buffalo, who, like we've seen, plays down. And the biggest thing for the Buccaneers, I think, is you have to find a run game. Like we talked about Minnesota earlier. Badly. Tampa's even worse running the football. Rashad White, Keyshawn Vaughn, someone has to figure it out in that backfield. And because once they get the running game going, Baker, Baker looks like an all pro again. And he's hasn't had that ability this year and the entire team hasn't. And they keep trying to. But in the past two weeks, I would say they've just abandoned the run game completely. Like the second half, they they just don't run the ball. They, they throw it to their like screen passes, stuff like that. They get the running backs involved, but you have to run the ball to win games, especially when the leaves start to fall and the weather gets a little colder and you can start seeing your breath come out of the helmet. That's when the running and physical football teams win football games and going to the bills. I would argue this a must win. It's a must win for them. You, you, if they lose, they fall to four and four, uh, and they already have two divisional losses, and I'm sure Miami's probably going to hopefully take care of business against New England next week, and then they'll be six and two. You're four and four, and now you're fighting for a wild card spot out of nowhere. Yeah, th- those two divisional games losses are going to absolutely bite the Bills in the ass down down the stretch. I think that's uh, pretty much guaranteed now. Um, but on the other side, the Bucks sneakily have the second best rush defense in the NFL, something that isn't really talked about, but they have a very, very good defensive line against the rush and making the bills pass is something that I think is, you know, kind of always that kryptonite for them almost like if you make Josh Allen uncomfortable and you can't get the run game going, he starts playing hero ball, especially in prime time think that's the route the Bucs have to take here and you know you're facing a Bills team that is kind could be gripping you know their sticks to use a hockey term a little bit tighter this game there's a lot on the line I'm leaning the Bucs with the points or outright with the points I think that eight and a half is just too much yeah I, I I don't disagree the only to play devil's advocate it's a must win for Buffalo and yeah. they're at home. They're going to be fired up. You know, they're, they're definitely going to start to hear, hear the rumblings. The past three weeks have been pretty ugly for them. And yeah, like you said, James Cook in the first three, four weeks, it seemed like he was going to be an integral part of this team. And they were actually going to have a running game this year. Josh Allen wasn't going to have to, you know, hit all the buttons and make these wild plays. And then, and then they just abandoned that. After like the past three weeks, their three worst weeks of the season, they have not run the ball with success. And Josh is trying to do too much once again. And it's a rinse and repeat with Buffalo. Like, I feel like we were talking about these exact same problems in the middle of the last um, year. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I don't know, like they, it seems like you have no, I don't know if it's McDermott, Allen, someone, the offensive coordinator feels like there's just no discipline on that side where it's like you're sticking to a game plan and you know, you're going to play four quarters and stick to it. It seems like the second shit hits the fan, they are panicking and they're just throwing everything out the window and it's Josh smash all the buttons, go make some plays. Well, it looks like they're not really on the same page at all offensively, especially between um, Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen. It just looks like they're on two different pages. The offense doesn't look succinct. Um, Part of me hates this because when whenever somebody kind of stacks up all those things against the Bills, they usually go and get a big win. Um, but you're right. I think they've lost kind of the 
chance to use that. Oh, they're out of the spotlight now. They don't have Super Bowl uh, contention. Everybody talking about them now. They can really thrive. We've been talking about that with the Bills since they lost uh, the conference final against KC. Like we've ever since that game, we've talked about them stepping out of the limelight and it being better for them after a big loss. And, you know, you just run out of leeway eventually. So big one for the Bills. If they win it, I think they have a chance to get kind of this season back on track. You know, that you never want to count them out. Um, but for the Bucks, if we want to talk NFC South, this is a big game for them, too, if they win. Yeah, just the grossest division in football continues to deliver. Uh, feels like 500 is going to win this division again. Yeah. And the Bucks, obviously, you know, they've lost two in a row now. And I, they cooled I, off I, hard. Colin Cowherd is out on them now. Oh, I'm sure. He hates Baker Mayfield. Backwards hack guy. Uh, but no, it, it's just like the division is so disgusting that if, you, if the Bucks can go out there and find a way to like beat a, a team like Buffalo where they shouldn't win this game, like they have no business winning this game. If you can go out there and steal one, I, that goes so far in a division like this. And I just, I'm pulling it up here. Yeah, the Falcons lead the division four and three. So if that game flips the other way, the Bucs are leading this division. So it's at the end of this day, the this division will probably come down to divisional games. But if you can find ways to steal these ones, you got to like your chances. Yeah. And uh, look ahead, look ahead. After this one, the Bills play Cincinnati on Sunday night football in week eight. Three straight primetime games for the Bills. Absurd. It yeah, really is that, absurd. And they do not play well in primetime. No. And then two four o'clock games after that. Like, I don't know. But a lot of, a lot of Tony Romo, a lot of eyes on, on the Bills in the next five weeks, which is... I don't know. They do they do better when they're out of the spotlight. Like yeah. they definitely do. Um one one last thing I had from this one, kind of more um residual from that Bills Patriots game, is Sean McDermott a bad game manager? Like, does he not have what it takes to coach big games down to the wire? Well, that's what I mean. Like it, it feels like once something isn't going perfectly, they just panic and and it's they throw their game plan out and they start maybe overthinking things or even underthinking. And it just feels like every single game, especially in these past three weeks for the bills lie, like rests on Josh Allen's shoulders. And that's not how it should happen. I, I understand, you know, you lose Matt Milano. That's a huge, huge loss on the defensive side of the ball, but you have playmakers. And I think another thing that's been missing on this offense is Gabe Davis this year. It feels like it's just all Stefan Diggs on offense. And they need that compliment because once you start doubling Stefan Diggs and just really like putting all your focus on him, you can kind of take him out of a game and you need Gabe Davis to step up. And I also think they're using their tight ends a little bit too much. I think they're really overthinking that just run Kincaid or run Knox, one of the other. They're trying to run both and they're trying to like split the catches between the two I don't, it's a weird thing with their tight ends going on right now but I think Gabe Davis really needs to step up for this team yeah I think that's uh definitely something that kind of Bills fans themselves are keeping an eye on he was huge kind of in the early part of the season last year he was a big reason that they got off to kind of a good start uh and I think that the whole Bills offense just has to really have a game where people can stop asking questions about them and that they can finally shut everybody up kind of in that sense um but 
Coming up after this, we are going to talk a little bit of NHL for ESPN's first Frozen Frenzy on Tuesday night. So come back after this. All right, we're back now to talk a little bit of NHL on a bit of a historic night in the league as ESPN is rolling out its first Frozen Frenzy, a 16-game night with all 32 teams in action. The meat and potatoes of it all is going to be John Buchigros and Kevin Weeks having a live whip around show similar to Red Zone with the NFL, um, taking viewers kind of game to game, power play to power play, goal to goal. Seems like they're really starting this off early. I think when this news initially came out a few weeks ago, people were expecting to see it, I don't know, in December or something later on in the season. I don't think anybody saw it coming this fast, but we're here. Oh, we are here. I think it's better you do it early in the season in Work case, you know, it, yeah, it doesn't go right. Um, not not everyone's maybe watching, right? You got the World Series on tonight. NBA is opening up. So maybe not all eyes will be on you in these games aren't necessarily, you know, must wins or you're not in a playoff race right now. So I don't mind the early start with this, but I think it's going to be chaos. I think this entire frozen frenzy not a bad name, actually. It's just going to be absolute chaos. I guess you're just going to, they're going to go to the games when it's a power play and just hope that there's goals. Yeah, that's my biggest question with this thing is that the one thing that, you know, red zone has is that there is a red zone. Like, you know exactly when teams have a chance to score. Power plays are the only thing close enough to that in hockey, but they're not coming like all the time. I don't. I just think that if anything, they're going to have to rely a lot on like kind of delayed replays, even more so than red zone does. Yeah, it's all it's all it has to be on delay because how are you going to know if, you know, say Montreal, New Jersey, that you're on them with a power play. But then, uh, you know, Sharks, Panthers, someone just just scores a five on five goal. You're just going to have to are you going to flip yeah, it right no away? Way. Are you going to yeah. wait till the power play ends, then go to it? I'm very interested. I'm definitely going to be tuning into this because I just need to watch the chaos for myself. I think Gross is an entertaining kind of host. I think he doesn't really take himself too seriously, which I think bodes well for him in this kind of situation. He can, you know, laugh at the mistakes and, and yep. if things aren't going right. So I think him and Weeks, you're actually a good pick for these two hosts. But my biggest thing with this and, you know, let me know if you agree or disagree, but NHL and NFL are different because I'm just going to be watching the Sens game for the most part. Like with you're yeah. giving me 16 NHL games, the only one I care about is the Sens game. That's the thing. It's like, is this much different than a loaded Saturday in the NHL? Usually like I the NHL is trying really, really hard to break past um, like regional viewership or regional fanship of people watching these games. I think it's why they put the Leafs game first in this. They put the Leafs game at 6 p.m. to kick off the entire thing against Washington. I think they can bank on people watching the Leafs early and then hopefully string them into this uh, along the way. Um, but that's the thing. I just... I don't know how different this is from when, you know, a, a ton of teams are playing on a Saturday and I tune into some of them a bit faster. I think I guess the chaos factor is kind of what you're tuning in for almost like kind of like a Manning cast. Like you don't really know what you're going to see when you turn on the TV, I guess, from more of a production standpoint. 
I'll tell you, I don't envy the ESPN director who has to call this thing tonight. No, that that booth is. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for them. So, boys, uh, I wish you the best tonight. Oh but it's gonna be tough. It's it's only airing on ESPN Plus. Yeah, that's the the other thing about this is that it the seems Canadian to be something that screwed. Canadians are kind of gonna have to stream if they want it. Um, the triple header of games that start kind of in the six, seven o'clock window is going to be on regular ESPN. I know every game's on ESPN plus, but for Canadian viewers, I think you're really going to have to stream a lot of this if you want to get kind of the post-production side of this, because I think TSN is only, um, airing like four of the Canadian games. Yeah. And it's all regional for like, it's, it's TSN's doing their normal broadcast don't sports probably going to have the baseball game at eight. Yeah. Maybe the basketball also. I don't know who's got the basketball tonight, but basketball starts at eight. And like, that's oh. a real problem for the NHL, right? Like ESPN not being available to your biggest fan base. Like that seems like a problem. Yeah. And I guess part of it is they're trying to grow it in the States more than Canada because they have a foundation in Canada, I guess. Yeah. But another thing for me in this, and you know, it, it goes to comparing to the NFL because they have red zone. I think a million, maybe more than millions more people are playing fantasy football, which is like kind of why you're watching red zone, right? You keep an yeah. eye on your fantasy guys, maybe a couple bets. Not that many people I know play NHL fantasy hockey. Just the so, sickos like us. Yeah. And I like, I don't know. I think that's part of the appeal for red zone and betting. I guess if you're a betting man in the NHL, this is this is perfect for you and you're very happy about it. But at the end of the day, you're still probably going to be watching the one game you got the most action on, right? I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's good for, you know, if you're trying to make up on your bets, you got a lot of Hawaii in a late slot tonight. Like you got a lot of games late that you can probably cover your ass on but yeah i'm excited to see kind of the chaos of it how they handle it from kind of a production standpoint uh i love like you said i love that weeks is kind of going to be able to anchor that with um butcher gross because i think you kind of need a bit of a balance there of somebody a bit more legit kind of to keep it um stable uh but now we're gonna just go around and kind of pick our most intriguing matchup from all these games tonight there's a ton to choose from a ton on the board. Patrick, I want to lead off with your Senators hosting the Sabres, who have had a nightmare start to the season. Doesn't seem like they can score a goal if they want to at all. They're eighth in the Atlantic, dead last, two and four. What do you like about this game tonight? I like that the Sens are at home going against the Sabres off a of back-to-back. I, I don't know. Buffalo is definitely not gone off to the start that they've wanted to and that they were looking for. Ottawa's had an okay start. They didn't have a great game last last game against Detroit. A lot of power plays. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I understand why Ottawa's favored in this game, but I feel like Buffalo coming off a loss, the travel's not that serious from Montreal to Ottawa, so I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think Buffalo is going to be a very motivated team in this game and I like I know it's early and I do this a bit too much, but going down to two and five, like you're not out of it is because it's so such a long season. But I mean, you're not in it. 
No, and Buffalo has playoff aspirations this year, right? Like it's yeah. supposed, they're supposed to be taking the next step, and they're looking like the sends of of the past couple of years, where it's just like, okay, you're just screwing yourself with these slow starts, and then you have to play catch up the rest of the year and pretty much play perfect hockey uh, from the All Star break on. So I, I think Buffalo is going to be very motivated in this game. I think there's going to be a, a good amount of goals. Uh, this this game, I just look at it, I go ah five three like it, yeah. like i don't know maybe an empty netter in there whoever wins is like a five three game but i do think it's nice the Sens are kind of like starting to play these atlantic teams they just played detroit now they're going to buffalo and i'm just excited to see if buffalo has taken those steps i haven't really watched them a lot this year uh obviously it's a very young team tage thompson has gone off to an extremely quiet start alex tuck uh like a lot of Buffalo stars haven't shown. I think Darlene's been playing solid, but like the forwards are kind of what's slowing Buffalo down and what's led to the slow start. Yeah, they have 10 goals in six games, not a winning recipe whatsoever. Um, there's only been, let me see. I think there's only been one game, sorry, two games where they got um, more than two goals jesus uh and yeah it's just been bad for them to start i think that this is interesting because these are kind of two teams that have similar aspirations going into the season both atlantic teams looking to make that next step everybody expecting them to kind of jump to the playoffs two kind of opposite starts to the season uh if it wasn't for the habs kind of having a bit of a hot start i think the Sens would be third in the in Atlant in the atlantic which is kind of right where people expect them to be um something to keep your eye on Sens uh puck line plus 130 kind of nice yeah maybe maybe there won't know. be as many goals as i thought i didn't realize buffalo was slacking that hard but then the yeah, over, I'm the at over this, is still that's... six and a half and it's minus 150 like yeah they're, they're kind of riding with you yeah because the sends are tied third in the nhl for goals per game and the yeah. sabers are 28th mm -hmm. wow not good that's they're 26 power play percentage 29th in shooting percentage they can't buy a goal I, that's just not the start I thought Buffalo was going to get off. And like you said, these two teams, you know, they're, they're going to be comparing themselves to each other. The All these year. two teams in Detroit are kind of like, yeah, those that's going to be probably the rivalry for the next five years kind of thing, you know, looking to catch up to Toronto. And yeah, this this is a statement game for for both teams. You want to send a message to uh, to the team, you know, that like we, we can beat you guys uh, just kind of get in their heads and just send a message. But I'm excited for it. I, I also just kind of realized that the NHL actually staggered their games tonight. Six o'clock, six thirty, yeah. six forty five, like every fifteen minutes it's a different game, which is credit to them. I didn't think they had that in them. It seems to be the first time they've ever done this. What a concept. Um it's tough. Like you go back to fantasy, nobody cares about fantasy hockey, but you know, having to put five guys on your bench when one game in the NHL was going on last night. It's pretty brutal. Um, but what's another matchup you like here? There's a lot on the board here. A lot of bad teams kind of playing a lot of mediocre teams really needing a win. What's something else you like? Yeah, there's, I mean, pick any game. I'm sure the two games that we're talking about, there's a high chance. They're not even the most two entertaining games, but I'm going to just off my eye test off of what I, you know, expect I'm going to have my eye on this Hurricanes-Lightning game. And 
The Lightning at home, they're two, two and two, six in the Atlantic going against the Hurricanes, three and three, who I think many people had them having Stanley Cup aspirations going into this year. I think they're one of the one of the favorites to win the Stanley Cup this year. They started off good and then they, you know, it's like you said, out of nowhere, they're three, they're five hundred, sorry. I kind of love Carolina in this game. That's kind of why it caught my eye. I was looking at the money line. They're minus one twenty-five. So they're going to be plus money to win in regulation. I don't know. I think Tampa Bay, we've talked about it a little bit. They've got nothing, man. They they have a power play and and it came through against Toronto. That's that's about it. If you're giving them power plays and taking penalties, they can they can, you know, make you pay. Kucherov still on, like maybe the one of the most elite goal scorers in the NHL. Hedman moves it around, point will figure it out. But I just think Carolina is such a better team than Tampa Bay this year. And I know Antti Ranta is expected to be a net. But I, I just don't see how Carolina loses this game. Uh, I think they send a message to Tampa. And I don't know. I think Carolina is going to be one of those top four teams in the East. And I, I think Tampa Bay kind of might miss the playoffs this year. So... I just I lean the Canes in this game. I think you get good value on the money line, and you know what? Worst case, Tampa plays up, and you just get an elite level hockey game. Yeah, I think that you saw that at <clears throat> kind of at the end of the Leafs Lightning game. The last ten minutes of that game kind of looked like a playoff game. It it was really high strung. They're really struggling without Vasilevsky. You can really notice that they're a team that needs him. Uh, he's probably the MVP of that team. Like it, it, it's no real secret, but even looking back on those cup runs, like if, if you had to really pick out one guy, it'd probably be him. Um, so they're a team that, you know, they've benefited from other teams like Buffalo having a slow start in the Atlantic. Um, but like you said earlier, I don't think that leash kind of runs too long, especially in the NHL. Um, I do love the Hurricanes in this one, too. They're an interesting team. I want to see them really prove it this season early. I want them to establish themselves as a dominant team that can score, right? This has been the question about the Hurricanes in the past is that they've, especially when it's become crunch time, like in the playoffs, their scoring absolutely dries up. So something I really want to pay attention to from the Hurricanes this year. Yeah, and they have been scoring early. They're yeah. second in the league in goals per game, like shots on goal. They've... yeah. That, that doesn't seem to be a problem early. Goaltending kind of seems to be a problem early. I mean, Ranta, he's only played two games. 4.41 goals against average with an 818 save percentage. Not the numbers you're looking for. That's uh, not pretty. Yeah. No. But I like, you, like their losses are to good teams. I'm looking back now. You lost to Colorado, who's undefeated. Losing to Seattle and, and Anaheim are, are not pretty, though. But I mean, no. they, they're scoring in every game. You beat the Sens beat the Kings. Yeah, I think they, they, oh, they're still on a road trip. Last game of the road trip. Okay. Now I'm kind of second guessing myself. I kind of like Tampa <laughs> end of the road trip. We, we talked all, ourselves all the way around the circle back to the Tampa yeah. Bay lightning. Either way though, I, I do think I will be watching that game and I think it, I think it'll be competitive. But yeah, I, I mean, take your pick. There's a million games tonight, right? I know. Um, one more before we get on to light the beam. I want to take a closer look at the Dallas Stars at the Pittsburgh Penguins because this is two teams that, you know, I find that people were really high on as like their sleepers before this season. People were were penciling in Pittsburgh with all their offseason additions to be a force out of the East. People were picking Dallas to be sleepers out of the West. 
And I think that, you know, both of these teams haven't exactly Dallas less so, but Pittsburgh more so haven't had the start that they exactly wanted. Um, The problem with Dallas right now is that they are slotted behind the juggernaut of the avalanche, um, but they still haven't lost yet. So the stars are kind of in line with that, but Pittsburgh second last in the Metro. This is more of a prove it game for them. Absolutely. Yeah. The oldest team in the league, the Pittsburgh Penguins are are taking on, you know, one of the younger teams in the NHL, I guess. Actually, no, they're not that young because you still have like Jamie Ben and Sagan and those guys. But I, I think Dallas is really looking to take that next step to put themselves in a Stanley Cup conversation. Uh, we saw them go on a nice run last year. And I mean, they were in the Stanley Cup finals in the COVID year too. So it's like Dallas is kind of sneaky being one of the better teams in the NHL over the past three, four seasons. So you kind of need to get some results, you know, find a way to get a cup in this window. Uh, I think Jason Robertson is one of the best goal scorers in the league. Jake Ottinger seems to be one of the best goalies in the league. And Miro Heiskanen is one of the best defensemen in the league. So you kind of have like a a star in every in every group. In Pittsburgh, ugh, ugly start. Uh, I mean, Malkin is, is showing up for, for, for this team, sorry. But everyone else, it's just like, you're just waiting for them to step up. I mean, Gensel and Crosby... Uh, six and five points each respectively, but I think it's the depth on, on Pittsburgh. I, I think it was uh, up until it might still be true in this game, but I think Lars Deller was the only player on their bottom six with a point for, I, for a bit did that might've changed last game, but for the first four games, I believe that's a true stat. Yeah, it really is an old team. It sounds like a cliche, but it's, you kind of notice it out there. Like they look a little bit slower. They look a little bit less dangerous on offense. Um, to mention, you brought up Jason Robertson. There are three Oh and one without him having a goal so far. He's had a really slow start to the season. And once he gets going, this team looks even more dangerous. Yeah. And the fact that they're winning these games without him kind of performing shows that Dallas kind of has those guys like Wyatt Johnson is, going to be a star in this league. I think he's coming on as one this year. He's a point per game early on in the year. Jamie Ben, I mean, still making it happen. Yeah, still finds a way. I don't think he's, you know, like a, a Team Canada player anymore, but to have that guy in your room and, and on the ice, like just being a leader is what you need. And then you just have perfect complementary pieces to the stars like Joe Pavelski, Rupe Hens, Sagan still kind of playing good hockey. And Ty Delandria is a young guy that can get it done. Always shocks me that Matt Duchesne is on this team this year. He he hasn't done anything either. He's got zero, 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 zero on his stat line. I, I love Dallas in this game. game too, yeah. I know. Matt Duchesne has been bouncing around these past couple of I years. I, I love Dallas too, especially with Ottinger and Nett. Like that's the final piece in this team is the fact that getting through that roster, then you have to play a Vesna quality goalie. So I think that with the scoring trouble that um, Pittsburgh has had so far, uh, it, it's not great to look down the pipes at a guy who's got a one five eight goals against right now. Yeah, that's uh that's a goalie that can like he's steal your games. Yeah. He, and he has, because like yeah. you said, Robertson hasn't scored and Dallas is 21st in the league in goals per game. So yeah, They've they've needed the goaltending that they've gotten out of Ottinger, and you see it in their their record so far. 
Yeah, big time. Um, so, yeah, enjoy the Frozen Frenzy tonight. It's going to be chaotic, but, yeah, try and uh, might have to stream it, but try and get your eyes on some NHL games. Should be interesting to watch. Uh, coming up after this, to finish the podcast, we will return with Light the Beam. It's been a while, so come back after that. All right, welcome back. We are returning with Light the Beam. It's been a while. And I'd like to start Light the Beam with the Utah Utes football program. Light the Beam, Utah. They get a huge win over USC on the weekend. Take down a fellow Pac-12 opponent. They now have two wins against ranked Pac-12 opponents. One loss so far this year. And I'm lighting the beam for them because I think that this is the turning point that could turn Utah into a team that kind of shakes up college football this year. They're doing this without Cam Rising right now. Um, They also have a pretty respectable non-conference win against Florida this year. They go on to face Oregon next week, and then in three weeks they face Washington. More so than anything, the Pac-12 is stacked this year, Um, but I love how this team is playing football. I think that was a huge spot against USC. I've really loved watching this team for kind of the past two years. They play a really tough brand of football. They're not easy to get yards against. And then on offense, they have guys who step up like every game for them. Um, they Their one loss is against Oregon State, who's currently ranked 19th. It's a pretty respectable loss. And they have the chance if they make it to the Pac-12 championship game uh, to maybe play them and avenge that loss eventually. But I'm going to light the beam for Utah. I think they, they deserve some love after beating USC on the weekend. Yeah, I, I love it. I've kind of been, uh, I've got a sneaky soft spot for the soft spot for the Utes as well. And kind of like you said, it's just very impressive that they've been able to do this without Cam Rising, who's probably a top 10 quarterback in yeah. college football. I I love their head coach. I think that's kind of where the soft spot yeah. originated from, Kyle Whittingham. Uh, he had a hilarious quote after that game as well. He said, uh, "They've got a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, so they're gonna they're gonna make some things, and that's just the way it is. But we've got ourselves a pig farmer at quarterback, so we're pretty pr- proud of that guy too." Uh, yeah, I mean, like that's just an easy guy to root for, easy guy to play for. That's awesome. And and kind of like you said, I think the Pac-12. A lot of people talk about it you know, kind of just cannibalizing each other. And I think teams like Utah are the reason why, like Oregon state beating them is not a bad loss. I think there's a reason, like a a real chance you have three. I don't know. I, I don't have the schedules in front of me. I don't even know if this is like actually possible, but I think you could have like three, 11 and one or 10 and one pack 12 teams when the season's done. Like if Utah goes and beats Washington, I don't know if Washington has played Oregon State yet. Like Washington goes beats Oregon State and it's just kind of a gauntlet. But Utah absolutely has a path to make it out of the Pac-12 and into the college football playoff. Yeah, there's about four teams right now um, with one loss that are considered to be kind of dangerous in that spot to go there. It's Texas, it's Alabama, and Utah is right in that mix. Um, So I think that... This is an interesting team. I'm, I'm really excited to see that matchup against Oregon. I think people have been waiting to see a real test for Oregon um, and see what this team is kind of really made of. Uh, and, and that Washington one down the line, like that is going to be an absolutely electric game. There's a lot to like out of the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, it's really fun football. 
It's not a ton of defense, a lot of high scoring games, just like a lot of points are being put up and it's on late at night, which is a perfect, like just cap off your Saturday with some like very entertaining football, a little bit of chaos. Um, but no, I think, I think Utah has a legitimate chance. I think Washington, they had, they had a bit of a letdown spot this past week against uh, Arizona state and yeah. They kind of show that they're, I don't know, vulnerable, yeah. I guess you could say. Maybe not just, they're not perfect. They're not mm-hmm. a perfect football team, and they're they're beatable. And I think Utah, with their head coach, he's been, been there a million times. He, you know, that's the guy you need in a situation like that. Yeah, I want to ask you one last thing. There's been a lot of questions flying around about USC and Caleb Williams, where they go for the rest of the season here. I've even seen people saying that, Caleb Williams should kind of take himself out of the season a bit and kind of get himself mentally and physically prepared for the draft. What do you think the rest of Caleb Williams season looks like? Will that affect NIL? Like, That's I think, a real good question. Yeah, I think you have to play to get your NIL money. I, that would make sense yeah. to me, at least. I don't know what these contracts say. I don't no, know. That if, makes a lot of sense to me. You know, maybe he got a car and he's already got the car and nothing else matters, but... He's making he's valued at over two million dollars on NIL right now, Oof. and I think if he just doesn't play football for the rest of the year, he's got to lose some money. I I don't know how it works. I don't know the legal the anything. I don't know anything really about NIL, but I gotta think that would affect it somehow. Yeah, and that's interesting because you know a lot of the anti-NIL people are probably the same people saying there's more to college football than being a development league for the NFL. So those two things actually kind of help each other. Like NIL gives people incentive to stay and keep playing college football as more than just a development league for the NFL. Yeah. And I think like two, three, maybe four weeks ago, people were talking about Caleb Williams staying another year in college football and making his NIL money. And you know, if the team that's drafting first overall he doesn't like what he sees he's just going to go back to college and he's like he's like using it as uh as like a negotiating leverage piece, yeah yeah i have no idea caleb this caleb williams saga is just starting yeah, i think we're I think, only getting going on it i think from now up to the draft is just going to be a circus i i think it's just there's gonna be a million different things he's gonna have a million different just crazy quotes and i think people are going to look to jump on stories about him as well like you're Another seeing that with the equity yeah i i don't think i like yeah i think it's uh i don't know we're just I, getting started with that uh didn't mean to, to sidetrack everything let me get it back on the rails here patrick who are you lighting the beam for it's funny damien we got a we got a college football heavy uh like oh, hell beam. yeah yeah i we, this was not planned but i i don't mind that it happened I'm going with Ohio State. I'm going with Ohio State. I'm lighting the beam, man. This people, people just want to discredit this team. They I don't understand why. Maybe because they don't have a Heisman trophy winner at quarterback or like not the best quarterback in the in the NCAA at quarterback anymore. But this defense, man. You like so Western Kentucky is for they're seen as like a elite offense in the NCAA held them to 10 points. Then on the road against Sam Hartman, who's supposed to be the savior of Notre Dame, best quarterback out there. They're just missing a quarterback. 
held them to 14 points. Um, then they want to say that, you know, Notre Dame ran the ball on Ohio State. I don't think they had a play longer than 10 yards the entire game, but it's okay. They're moving the goalposts. Then they go to Maryland. Well, no, at home against Maryland. Tonga Vailoa, elite quarterback. It's going to be a shootout. You know, who knows that Maryland might catch Ohio State. I don't know if they scored any points in the second half. And then now we go to now they're hosting Penn State. Drew Alar, you know, five-star quarterback, best offense. They're, and then they're saying Penn State's got the best defense, better than Ohio State's. And all these talking heads are just crowning Penn State, saying that, you know, this is their time. They're going to get over the hump. They're going to beat Ohio State. Ohio State's weak. They're they're having an off year. What happens? They get they get a garbage time touchdown. They lose 20 to 12. The goalposts just keep getting moved, Damian. I don't understand what this Ohio State team has to do, but they just keep winning games. It's ironic because this is the exact spot you want Ohio State in, especially after last year, going up against Michigan soon. This is the exact thing you wanted to see from this team. Defense was the biggest blind spot in those games in the past couple of years. Michigan was able to get yards over the air way, way too easy. And this is what you need to build that foundation on leading up to this game is strong defense. You're going up against a Michigan team that has one of the better offenses or one of the more at least succinct and and kind of chemistry filled offenses in NCAA. And they're just proving that they can stop high powered offenses. It's got to make you feel good heading into that. Uh, Yeah, I, I think you put that very well. This is the spot Ohio State wants to be in. They this is perfect because they're usually where I guess Michigan is right now. And, you know, the the narrative coming out of that Penn State game was that, oh, Penn State's offense isn't as good as we thought it was. Hey, (laughs) maybe there's a theme growing here that Ohio State's defense is pretty damn good. I, I don't know. I think that's crazy. And like, I'm not saying Kyle McCord is is some next coming of Joe Burrow or, or, you know, like Dwayne Haskins, like these great Ohio state quarterbacks have come out and passed CJ Stroud, whatever, but he looked a lot better than Drew Allar in that game. I'm not saying he's great, but he's good enough. Ohio state always has the best player on the field with Marvin Harrison jr. And if you can just find a way to get the ball in there in his hands, not to mention Ohio state's missing their number one cornerback in that game, their number one running back and their number two wide receiver. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't perfect on offense, but there was a decent amount of injuries to key players. I don't know. The goalposts keep getting moved. I think they are on high alert. I would take Wisconsin with the points this week against Ohio State. I don't know what it is, but coming off a big win like that on the road at Wisconsin has one of those recipes for a bit of a letdown spot for Ohio State yeah I think it's only 14 and a half right now too okay then yeah I think they're thinking the same way I am if they get past that then it should be a clear path to undefeated undefeated against Michigan last game of the year electric it's exactly what you want to see I think this has been a one of the best college football seasons for parity in a really long time it's absolutely electric week to week I would say Um, but yeah I think Ohio State's kind of benefiting from a bit of less of a spotlight, too, I think. Uh, they're, they're really getting underrated by a lot of people kind of around the nation who are searching for kind of this number one world beater team instead of just settling for the fact that, hey, there's a couple like really good teams here um, with some really good aspects of their of their defense and their offense. I think that Kyle McCord 
for this offense, you really it's almost like an NFL offense where you need a game manager. Like you have enough talent on this offense where if he's a game manager, you can find yourself undefeated heading up against Michigan. And that's essentially what you really need him to be against Michigan is just getting consistent plus yardage like. Yeah, he's only got one interception. He's fifth in the nation in quarterback rating. And he's leading an undefeated Ohio State team. And you will hear none. You will never hear his name. Not even Marvin Harrison Jr.'s name in Heisman conversations these days. He's got, it's pretty much the same stats as Jordan Travis. And people are like crowning him. JJ McCarthy's got a couple more yards, more interceptions. They haven't played anyone. It's interesting. I don't really... I love it. Like you said, I think this is the spot Ohio State wants to be in. I'm, have you been keeping an eye on these Michigan cheating allegations? I want, yeah, I, I wanted to finish the show with that because it's, it's bonkers. Uh, cool throne for investigative reporters around the Michigan campus, because this is just left, right and center. First, you get the Harbaugh cheating allegation, or the Harbaugh, uh, I don't even know what you want to call it. I Brock. think it was like recruiting. recruiting he bought a couple yeah. guys during COVID, some yes. cheeseburgers. That, I I think, is BS. Like, I, I don't, yes. I think that's I agree a with the COVID story. One, yes. This seems like there's a little bit of meat on the bones. We got people going into public Venmo requests and seeing, you know, ticket stubs being, or the price for tickets being exchanged day before the Peach Bowl last year. I don't know. It's it seems like a baseball thing almost where it's like I feel like every college team is probably doing this. I think to a degree, you're right. And sign stealing in game is legal. I think that's legal. It's part of the game. I think that's a key part to this. Like sign stealing in game, similar to baseball, is legal and you can do it, which I think is fine. Whatever. Play by the thing. I think that a his name is Connor Stallions, who's an offensive assistant who makes 55K a year, who is supposedly some young, hungry, up-and-comer. He's just going out and spending $1,000 on tickets every week. I, I, who's funding that, Damien? Who's funding that that thing? And then, you know, people are just going to say, oh, Harbaugh's got no idea about this. The athletic director's got no idea about this going on. I also find it quite interesting that there's a direct correlation between when these allegations began and Michigan starting to win bigger games. I don't know. That seems like it's a direct correlation to them benefiting competitively from this. So the rules are that you can't spend money to go recruit other or scout other teams because it's unfair to other teams if they don't have money to do it. The bank. All the okay, all the big yeah. schools would do it. And the second violation is that you can't record other teams' sidelines. And apparently there's direct proof of Connor Stallions in stadiums videotaping opposing opposing team sidelines. Yeah. Not to not mention, good. not to mention, he is standing in there's pictures in the Ohio State game last year. He's standing beside the defensive coordinator when they're on defense, and he's standing beside the offensive coordinator when they're on offense. On so the Ohio State I, side? No, Michigan, when they're playing oh, them, like, okay, okay. Yeah, they say, yeah, oh, yeah. he's just a gratis and he's, he doesn't have a big role in this team. Then why is he in the ear of the offensive coordinator when they have the ball and in the ear of the defensive coordinator when they're on defense? Some good and there's like, a, there's like a chart that uh, there's these pictures of, and it just looks like team signs. And not right. to mention Greg Schiano at halftime of the Rutgers game this year saying, there's something fishy going on out there. We have to take a look at this. Really, eh? That's interesting. 
The I, evidence I is, is another thing, right? Like there's there's more and more stories about Michigan each time. Something's eventually got to break. Like, is this when the NCAA steps in and actually puts down a slap on the like something more than a slap on the wrist? Like it's it's starting to get insane. Like if this is if all the allegations are true coming out of this, then you have to do something like you. You absolutely have to come down on Michigan. Correct. Especially if you're a Michigan man, you're honorable, you're better than everyone else. You know, you're held to the highest standard of the world and life. Like you, you are a Michigan man. It's very dishonorable to be doing this. And back in the day when, you know, pre NIL, all this stuff, Ohio state, Jim Trestle, a couple of players were getting free tattoos in exchange for autographs. Ohio state pretty much got the death penalty for that. Jim Trestle did the honorable thing and ended his coaching career. He stepped down. He goes, you know what? This is right. This is wrong. It happened on my watch. He ended his entire coaching career because of this. So Harbaugh, I, you're a Michigan man yourself. I think you should do the honorable thing. Take a look in the mirror and just go to the NFL. This is your, this is your out, man. This is your out. This is your out. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy, man. Like that, just another question about Michigan. Just another example of them kind of being greasy, man. Like they're just they lead the league in in greasiness per snap. Yeah, it's like how many stories are gonna come yeah. out until it's like okay, times? something's actually going on here. Mm-hmm. I'm interested. I don't think they're gonna get the death penalty or anything, but no, I I do think like some sort of bull ban, maybe maybe like making Harbaugh step down just. Just something. Also, that Connor Stallions guy deleted every social media account. Um, that's that something. That's something. And, it, and yeah, that's what innocent people do. I, of course, right? Oh man, yeah. It's a uh, it's a bit of a mess. I'm interested to see how that story folds out. Me too. Um, but that'll do it for today at the goalpost. Got a great weekend. We're approaching the sports equinox. NBA starts tonight. We got. Playoff baseball game seven tonight, college football, NFL this weekend. Just a whole board for everybody. Yep, the NHL frozen frenzy should be chaos. Uh, No, I can't wait. Uh, October is always the best time of the sports calendar. That it is. Go out there and enjoy it. Thanks again for listening and supporting. And until next week, Patrick. See you later, Damien. See ya. Welcome to the land where the just don't stop. Trumps, pop, tops, drops, in the front end hop. 